there was a lot of talk in 2020 about it feeling like a resurgence of like the civil rights era after the death of George Floyd and the unrest, you know, Mont Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and the, the marches and things that were happening. From people that lived through the civil rights movement of the 60s, did it feel, did that time, and I mean, that time is still sort of going on, yeah. did they feel comparable to you? Well, that's a good question. The 60s was uh, a little frightening. The future was really unpredictable, which, you know, you can say that about a lot of things. But it really was because the neighborhoods were more concentrated. It wasn't a lot of integration. Uh, the schools were just integrating. So that part was a little more painful there. I think what's happening in the 20s, especially with people that live in the 60s, seemed like the fight, we're fighting the same old fight that we did mm. in the 60s. Yeah. Like, you know, the voting, mm. right? Yeah. You know, we, we was fighting for that when I was in the 60s, when we were in the 60s about voting. And um, so that, and um, then you see the police brutality, which most black neighborhoods, that's been going on for years. Because yeah. a lot of blacks are uh, disproportionately in prison and jail. So a lot of that was going on in the 60s. The unfortunate thing about George Ford it brought it all to a head. Mm, Here yeah. we fought to get some freedom and now you see it all just comes out when you see somebody on the neck of a person for what, 10 minutes? Eight minutes. Eight, eight yeah. Uh, so from that perspective, I think the pain is some of the things we're still fighting. Now, as far as the integration, I think we are making some progress. Mm -hmm. I think from the 60s, you compare to that, we are making progress, some some progress. Yeah. We still have a way to go, so. I think we have a long way to go. I think the biggest thing with the 60s was it was a big change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a big change and we progressed uh, and, and we did progress we progressed and now it seems like we're trying to regress Gress, yeah. is what was happening because like you said the voting rights bill immigration yeah. equal opportunity mm. uh, colleges are mm. accepting more blacks into mm -hmm. doctoral programs and becoming lawyers and things like this and it was just we were getting to change yes. a lot hmm. in this past what 50 years mm -hmm. but now we want we want to go back to yeah. where you want to close all these doors again so i think mm -hmm. that the biggest difference was the change that we were 
getting changed and we progressing and not just blacks all minorities were starting to progress yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that was the thing that uh, more educated people getting better jobs you could go by live out of that project or just a straight black neighborhood that you could move into a nicer house because you were making more money because you become educated so that was the big difference through all that time. And now that we're somewhat there, mm. you, you want to send us back. That's yeah. the thing. That's powerful, a powerful way to say that. Fast forward some odd years, and you all move to the Houston, Texas area, which is different from where either of you grew up, because dad's job planted you here instead of New York City. Still a little bitter, <laughs> uh, but uh, the day they told me, "Yeah, your dad had a job opportunity." I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I like, you could have landed in Texas. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Texas brought you to me. Yeah. It does not sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Good to know. Yeah. New York is still the first love. <laughs> the this isn't about us. This is, uh, what was it like raising two sons, one of which is talking to you as your favorite? Uh, <laughs> like, what was it raising two black sons who each, in different regards, you know, I was obviously involved in the arts, Delrick in sports. Uh, we moved into a predominantly white neighborhood for most of my schooling. Delrick started high school in a largely white neighborhood. Uh, what was it like for you all, knowing your experiences, to make that choice, to make that move, knowing that you were moving into a district that is that was largely white? And, you know, since Delrick was older, you know, he became very public because he was, those that know Delrick plays basketball, he was the freshman who made the varsity basketball team. And there were parents that did not, parents and students that did not appreciate this kid that came out of nowhere from a different district and was on varsity. Um, so what was it like? What did you feel like you needed to instill in us to be successful? What was important? Well, <laughs> well, first of all, though, even though you're seven years apart, yeah. so that made it seven years of Derek doing his thing and you having to tag along yeah. after you got here. But Derek did go to yeah. uh, junior high in that same district. So oh, that made it a little bit better for him because all of those guys that came that seventh grade year, all of a sudden the school district was having teams that were pretty good. They, were, <laughs> they had players that uh, were making strides and so forth. So they were sort of known, and but they still didn't appreciate, especially the parents that had a senior on the team, that a freshman's coming in and taking somebody's spot, but they liked it when they were winning. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, we we heard it and so forth, but our thing was that that's the coach, and just as long as you're not trying to hurt him and being nasty to him, mm -hmm. uh, 
when we're setting up here and we're coming to the games and we're cheering for your son as well as our son while while they're out there. But the one thing, either with the seven years apart between the two of you, I said that if you are not hitting those books, you don't have to play basketball. (laughs) Basketball is secondary to your academics and for you too. Not basketball. But I mean, <laughs> not guess, but I mean, really? whatever you were, like, you were okay. doing, creative part. your creative part is that mainly you academically is number one, and and I always would tell you all, you know, if you can make an A, I expect the A, but if you can't make nothing but a C, well, that's fine too. But I'm not gonna let you settle for a C when you're capable of getting that A. And, and you all knew that. And if you could excel in doing your arts and your sports and so forth, well, that was just icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. But academics was first. And, and we enjoyed um, following him, following you. I, having kids in my house for group study and feeding all these children and so <laughs> forth. But I wanted you all to feel that you could, if you needed to bring somebody to your home to work on your assignments and so forth, that they were welcome to do that. Mm-hmm. That you could come here and it's a safe place mm-hmm. and they could do that. Mm-hmm. And that if you all needed something done and we could help you, we would do that too. Mm-hmm. You know, like at midnight, oh, I'm supposed to take cookies to class tomorrow <laughs> for an assignment. You know. Your dirty laundry. <laughs> uh, it's more dirty than oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, if we could do that to help you achieve what you need to do, we were there for that. I mean, I think I know the answer, but why were. Why was, for both of you, academics so important? I mean, not that I ever thought, I mean, I can't imagine growing up in this house, I can't imagine a world where they wouldn't be, but like for all the strife we we heard uh, about our report cards and things, but why was that something y'all were committed to? I, I think my fear was y'all experienced what I went through. I did not want y'all to, experience that you know being uh only few in the high school and being kind of isolated and um and i wanted you to have a better opportunity in terms of your education and really experiencing what high school and all that was about and making friends and and participating in things you really wanted to do without any kind of restriction. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was my fear. I remember when uh, y'all was going to school, I said, oh, they might go through the same thing I went through. Was that, because when we moved to the, because we're talking about Pearland, yeah. uh, for those that live in Texas, and it was largely white. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. like. Like, it's hard to believe that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, 20 some odd years later. But when we moved it, like, it was largely white. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so, were you nervous? Oh, I was so, scared to death. I Be- was too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because 
he left from we moved from Clear Creek into uh, Pearland, Creek, yeah. and so of course Delrick was playing sports, and he was in seventh grade, mm -hmm. and so I went to the first, and he was playing football. I went to the first football game, and when I got in the stands, I could count more than five black people on the team, and more than five black people in the stands. I said, oh, he'll be okay. <laughs> so then I was like, I'm okay now, because mm. I'm not the only one here, yeah. and he's not the only one yeah. out there on the team. And of course, you were in kindergarten. Yeah. And so uh, you had not been in another school where there had been a lot of other, and, and you're leaving your friends yeah. that you yeah. had made at the other school yeah. and coming to this school. And so uh, but it I was, took Lane eyes on it. Yeah, because yeah. I thought, oh, he's going to hate us. Yeah. <laughs> he That's is going to hate <laughs> us for doing this to him. But looking back, that was probably one of the best moves we made right, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> as far as... Why that? Well, uh, both of you excelled very well there. Honor graduates uh, were employed by them. That's uh, <laughs> true. They hired us. They hired you. Uh, so, uh, you know, so it all worked out and you all have wonderful friends and contacts still there. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was a, a good move in the end. Yeah, and I think the relationship that y'all built helped too. Because I think once they found out that y'all was interested in your education and doing well, the teachers and your friends kind of res respected that. And mm -hmm. I know when I went to register uh, Delrick, and uh, they were putting him in some kind of classes or something, and um, the counselor said, well, you know, if, you, if he can't do this, you know, we'll handle it. I said, oh, you don't have to worry about that. He can handle it. So <laughs> That was like an AP class or something? Yeah, and mm. so he was saying, you know, we could put him in something. I was yeah. like, no, he'll be fine. Don't worry. Yeah. He'll be fine. So, and after that, they became real good friends. <laughs> I know, Aaron, you were the first African-American lead, right? Yeah. In a, yeah. In a show at the high musical, school. Musical. Musical. Okay. Uh, and I know Delrick was a star in his sports, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, just, I'm just curious as a parent, like, what emotions that evoked in you to see your kids maybe, I don't know if it's breaking barriers or just setting that standard so high for future students in the district? I, for me, you know, proud is a, a button, but also to make them realize that it's great to be good and excel and so forth, but it's the whole package. Mm. It's the whole package. Yeah. Uh, I want you academically, I want you this way, and so forth, I'm, and far as your Christian life yeah. as well, uh, the whole thing. Stay grounded. Stay grounded. Stay grounded. It, yeah. it was mm -hmm. our biggest role is support them mm -hmm. and, you know, tell them they did great and so forth mm -hmm. and proud and don't want them to hear you saying too much about them. Because someone <laughs> yeah. too big, but uh, just just yeah. to stay 
grounded and to let them have all those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like I said, you know, mentally, uh, Christianity, academically, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Family, yeah. the whole thing. With both of them, we, they were both competitive to excel. Yeah. And I think they realize you don't let other people shut your dream down. If you want to do this, Mm. you do it. You fight. You work hard. You do what you have to do to to progress and not let people necessarily get in your way. Mm. And I think that's something we try to teach them. Like, uh, I learned when Aaron was going through uh, high school, he came home and said, I'm running for class president. I said, you what? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was really shocked. But then I thought, why not? You know, yeah. why not? If he feels he can do it, go for it. Yeah. You know, so along with being well-grounded, being uh, growing up through the church and uh, having that competitive spirit and drive, I think, and building relationships, I think that really helped. To Holly Chagrin, we always tease like the brown boys don't like. We are stubborn. Oh my goodness. And if you tell us no, you have lighted a fire. <laughs> Such a fire. Fight against it. <laughs> Not even uh, if you say no, if you say any hesitation about something. <laughs> well, I'll show you. <laughs> In a different note, like knowing your history uh, with where you grew up and integration, did you ever imagine that both of your children would have interracial families and you have biracial grandchildren? Was that something? I mean, it's not like there's tea to be spilled. Like we've talked about, like neither of our parents were ever like, are you sure you're going to marry this person? Like that. They did not ask me to leave the room. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Was that ever something you thought? And what was, I mean, the trajectory of your life to that point, what does that sort of make you think to know where you grew up and going to separate water fountains and to know that your family now is interracial? Well, I don't think, you know, first of all, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. Love everybody. Uh, We did not grow up, neither Paul nor I, with our families that said that you just can't marry somebody outside your race, you know. And also, and when Paul and I got married so forth, and after we had you all, there's no way we thought that you were going to marry someone in another race. Because that just, at the time in 1979 and 87, you were not thinking about your children marrying someone else from another yeah. race. But you all also evolved into an era where you were with other races mm-hmm. you were with other races when when you brought your group to the house to work mm-hmm. it wasn't an all-black group yeah. Yeah. yeah 
uh, in your classes and so forth, in your friends that you associated with. So your exposure to other races, and we go to a predominantly white church. So you learn to love other races. You just didn't look to say, I can only be with black people. And we didn't bring you up like that. So that's the difference too of how we evolved from the 60s Mm. to the 20s yeah. because uh, in 1960 you wouldn't have had a bunch of white kids in your house in a black family yeah. Yeah. because they wouldn't let them come yeah. Yeah. they yeah. wouldn't let them come but in 1990 yeah. whenever I had a bunch of white kids in my house yeah. Yeah. so that's the difference mm. uh because of who you associate with and who you were around. Yeah. Yeah. So. so it's like a different way of looking at representation and that the way everyone was represented yeah. it sort of broke down some of those. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of it's what you taught. Like we didn't, like Marsha said, we didn't teach y'all to yeah. look at one race. We taught for you to love everybody because that was our Christian upbringing. Yeah. You know, yeah. so um, that was, I think, was the foundation. Yeah. And, and not saying that everybody in your family is going to appreciate that fact mm-hmm. and so forth, but the main thing is that we, yeah. we don't care. We love these little bad kids that we have (laughs) (laughs) but they're such a sweetheart yes they are so and and our daughter thanks a lot you're welcome children first children first that's why I was trying to know children first children first I'm used to children first children first you know I told you a long time ago after y'all had your kids you had to back up the first day of Eliza (laughs) you guys have dropped in your Well, that's what happened to us. (laughs) (laughs) To kind of wrap up the discussion and hopefully end on a brighter note, depending, well, maybe not depending on what you say, but how, (laughs) how do you um, maintain that? Because I, I mean, I've been a part of your family for almost eight years now, and I would say like you both are joy filled and positive and you don't sit around like doom and gloom. Um, and I would argue is, one, I think y'all are both being kind and and that y'all are like sharing every traumatic detail that you've experienced or heard yeah. that oh, happened no. to friends and family as you grew up. Oh, no. Uh, uh, oh, I was just going to say, I don't want to say your question. Go ahead. <laughs> you've started. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's uh, totally fine. Like, how do you maintain that positivity and hope for the future when headlines are what they are. And well, you and you have real life experiences yeah. of hard, hurtful, awful yeah. things. And things you've mentioned before that you feel like we're regressing or mm-hmm. these are things we've already fought this battle, so why yeah. are we fighting it again? Yeah. How do you maintain hope for a better future for you know your grandkids and just the world in general. 
Well, number one, God is in control. So we believe in that, and we just hope and pray that for you all as well, but for our grandchildren especially, that this world will be better, that they can be joyful and enjoy a good life that they don't have to run scared every time they see a police officer Mm. or someone is shooting someone and they're in the crossfire because they're riding down the street. Mm. Uh, We just hope and pray that they will be blessed and you all will be blessed and matter of fact, the whole world that we can get this back on track to where we are humane mm. to one another. Yeah, you know, because it's getting to the point where we don't care. Only thing we worry about is power and money, and we don't care about other people, yeah. and that is not good. So, just hope that you know the Lord is in control, and we're praying that we can still be joyful, praise him, and that keep you safe and mm-hmm. our, keep our family safe. No. Very well said. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we've started ending by asking one final question. Uh, what have you, it's not on your list, <laughs> oh, so a surprise. <laughs> What is something you would say you have done right this week? This week? Mm -hmm. I had a birthday party for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that is something you did right this week. (laughs) Well, really, because we were all here together, and it was a real good time, and um, just family together. Yeah. And um, we had our grandkids here this week. Yeah. That was a good time. (laughs) Um, you know, I had a friend that, um, said she looks for a miracle every day. Hmm. She said there are miracles every day, but people look for big miracles, Hmm. but look for the little things that you're blessed with. Hmm. And so, you know, I went to choir practice on Wednesday. I took my, um. Bible school teachers uh, out to lunch on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and um, we celebrated our anniversary, anniversary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. after that? 48 yeah. years. That's crazy. And That's so, uh, you know, you look for just little things, and I was talking to someone the other day, and learn to be content. Mm-hmm. Learn to be content. And, you know, you're always going to want something, to do mm-hmm. something. But be content with what you have, yeah. and you'll be blessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we love our family, our entire families, our friends. We love our church. Um, it's just yeah. that. Just look for that little miracle mm-hmm. and yeah. be glad. Yeah. I know when I talk to my mother, I call her, and she will always say, count your blessing. Mm. And I used to, okay, mom, yeah. But as you get older, you realize uh, if you really look, 
like Masha said, you you like, Lord has really blessed me here. You know, the grandkids, my kids, the church. And even though all these other problems are going on, you you he gives you hope, you know. So you have to stop sometimes and say, Thank you, Lord. I count my blessing. And I think sometimes when you do that, that keeps you take the next step. Well said, Mom and Dad. <laughs> you did good. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> we will uh, let you go to bed now. Oh, thank you. Ooh, you going to wow. put us to bed? Now, Catch, you're blessed. You're so old. Your children put you to bed. Okay. <laughs> Thank you all. You can say bye. A lot bye. of wisdom. Bye. bye. <laughs>